Robert Lind was a great Irish writer and uh, he's mostly known for his essay writing and when you read his essays you would notice that how simply and beautifully he expresses his ideas and which makes you think about all kinds of subjects so i've got this book with me which is a collection of uh, essays and it's called the pleasures of ignorance which is one of the essays in the book and this is the exact essay which i'm going to narrate in this podcast so without taking much of your time let's start the pleasures of ignorance it is impossible to take a walk in the country with an average townsman especially perhaps in april or may without being amazed at the vast continent of his ignorance it is impossible to take a walk in the country without being amazed at the vast continent of one's own ignorance thousands of men and women live and die without knowing the difference between a beech and an elm between the song of a thrush and the song of a blackbird probably in a modern city the man who can distinguish between a thrush's and a blackbird's song is the exception it is not that we have not seen the birds it is simply that we have not noticed them we have been surrounded by birds all our lives yet so feeble is our observation that many of us could not tell whether or not the chaffinch sings or the color of the cuckoo we argue like small boys as to whether the cuckoo always sings as he flies or sometimes in the branches of a tree whether chapman drew his fancy or his knowledge of nature in the lines when in the oak's green arms the cuckoo sings at first delights men in the lovely springs this ignorance however is not altogether miserable out of it we get the constant pleasure of discovery every fact of nature comes to us each spring if only we are sufficiently ignorant with the dew still on it if we have lived half a lifetime without having ever seen a cuckoo and know it only as a wandering voice we are all the more delighted at the spectacle of its runaway flight as it hurries from wood to wood conscious of its crimes and at the way in which it halts hawk like in the wind its long tail quivering before it dares descend on a hillside for fir trees where avenging presences may lurk it would be absurd to pretend that the naturalist does not also find pleasure in observing the life of the birds but his is a steady pleasure almost a sober and plodding occupation compared to the morning enthusiasm of a man who sees cuckoo for the first time and behold the world is made new 
And as to that, the happiness even of the naturalist depends in some measure upon his ignorance, which still leaves him new worlds of this kind to conquer. He may have reached the very Z of knowledge in the books, but he still feels half ignorant until he has confirmed each bright particular with his eyes. He wishes with his own eyes to see the female cuckoo, rare spectacle, as she lays her egg on the ground and takes it in her bill to the nest in which it is destined to breed infanticide. He would sit day after day with a field glass against his eyes in order to personally to endorse or refute the evidence suggesting that the cuckoo does lay on the ground and not in the nest. And if he is so far fortunate as to discover this most secretive of birds in the very act of laying, there still remain for him other fields to conquer in a multitude of such disputed questions as whether the cuckoo's eggs is always of the same color as the other's eggs in the nest in which she abandons it. Assuredly, the men of science have no reason as yet to weep over their lost ignorance. If they seem to know everything, it is only because you and I know almost nothing. There will always be a fortune of ignorance waiting for them under very fact they turn up. They will never know what song the sirens sang to Ulysses any more than Sir Thomas Brown did. If I have called in the cuckoo to illustrate the ordinary man's ignorance, it is not because I can speak with authority on that bird. It is simply because passing the spring in a parish that seemed to have been invaded by all the cuckoos of Africa, I realized how exceedingly little I or anybody else I met knew about them. But your and my ignorance is not confined to cuckoos. It dabbles in all created things from the sun and moon and down to the names of the flowers. I once heard a clever lady asking whether the new moon always appears on the same day of the week. She added that perhaps it is better not to know because if one does not know whether in what part of the sky to expect it, its appearance is always a pleasure, pleasant surprise. I fancy, however, the new moon always comes as a surprise, even to those who are familiar with her timetables. And it is the same with the coming in of spring and the waves of the flowers. We are not the less delighted to find an early primrose because we are sufficiently learned in the services of the year to look for it in March or April rather than in October. We know again that the blossom precedes and not succeeds the fruit of the apple tree. But this does not lessen our amazement at the beautiful holy holiday of a May orchard. At the same time, there is, perhaps, a special pleasure in relearning the names of many of the flowers every spring. It is like re-reading a book that one has almost forgotten. Montaigne tells us that he had so bad a memory that he could always read an old book as though he had never read it before. 
have myself a capricious and leaking memory. I can read Hamlet itself, the Pickwick papers as though they were the work of new authors and had come wet from the press, so much of them fades between one reading and another. There are occasions on which a memory of this kind is an affliction, especially if one has a passion for accuracy. But this is only when life has an object beyond entertainment. In respect of mere luxury, it may be doubted whether there is not as much to be said for a bad memory as for a good one. With a bad memory, one can go on reading Plutarch and the Arabian Nights all one's life. Little shreds and tags, it is probable, will stick even in the worst memory, just as succession of sheep cannot leap through a gap in the hedge without leaving a few wisps of wool on the thorns. But the sheep themselves escape, and the great authors leap in the same way out of an idle memory and leave little enough behind. And uh, if we can forget books, it is as easy to forget the months and what they showed us when they are gone. Just for the moment, I tell myself that I know May like the multiplication table and could pass an examination on its flowers, their appearance and their order. Today I can affirm confidently that the buttercup has five petals. But next year I shall probably have forgotten my arithmetic and may have to learn once more not to confuse the buttercup with the celandine. Once more I shall see the world as a garden through the eyes of a stranger my breath taken away with surprise by the painted fields. I shall find myself wondering whether it is science or ignorance which affirms that the swift never settles even on a nest, but disappears at night into the heights of the air. I shall learn with fresh astonishment that it is the male and not the female cuckoo that sings. I may have to learn again not to call the campion a wild geranium and to rediscover whether the ash comes early or late in the etiquette of the trees. A contemporary English novelist was once asked by a foreigner what was the most important crop in England. He answered without a moment's hesitation, rye. Ignorance so complete as this seems to me to be touched with magnificence, but the ignorance even of illiterate person is enormous. The average person who uses telephone could not explain how a telephone works. He takes for granted the telephone, the railway train, the linotype, the aeroplane, as our grandfathers took for granted the miracles of the Gospels. He neither questions nor understands them. It is as though each of us investigated and made his own only a tiny circle of facts. Knowledge outside the day's work is regarded by most men as a gugo. Still, we are constantly in reaction against our ignorance. We rouse ourselves at intervals and speculate. We revel in speculations about anything at all, about life after death or about such questions as that which is said to have puzzled Aristotle. 
why sneezing from noon to midnight was good but from night to noon unlucky one of the greatest joys known to man is to take such a flight into ignorance in search of knowledge the great pleasure of ignorance is after all the pleasure of asking questions the man who has lost this pleasure or exchanged it for the pleasure of dogma which is the pleasure of answering is already beginning to stifle one envies so inquisitive a man as jowett who sat down to the study of physiology in his 60s most of us have lost the sense of our ignorance long before that age we even become vain of our squirrel's hoard of knowledge and regard increasing age itself as a school of omniscience we forget that socrates was famed for wisdom not because he was omniscient but because he realized at the age of 70 that he still knew nothing